This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. This is a Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show on WABC Radio. If you're in the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I grew up, you can find us at 770 on the AM dial. Uh, if you're out of town, you can listen to the entire show either now or even later and download at wabcradio.com. If you're listening now, go to your cell phone and either call or text your friends one of somebody in your family and tell them to tune in to 770 AM or to go online at WABC Radio because you're not going to want to miss this show. Today I have the singular honor of having the greatest mayor in New York City history, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, and his son, Andrew Giuliani, who ran a valiant and I think distinguished race for governor of New York, uh, a young man who's greatest public service without any question lies ahead. Now, many people know that the name Stone is a name plucked out of thin air by some Irish clerk uh, at Ellis Island, and that my real last family name is Corbo, C-O-R-B-O, and we are from Sicily. Therefore, you could call this segment Three Italian guys sitting around talking. Uh, I want to honor Rudy Giuliani uh, and Andrew Giuliani to the Roger Stone Show. Mayor, thank you so much for doing this. Roger, we're, I'm sure we're being tape recorded. Of that, there by is somebody. no doubt. Probably one of us, one by, of people, us. by people beyond those at WABC. <laughs> right. Andrew, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, Roger, thank you so much for having me, and, and thank you for the distinguished introduction. You know, just a few minutes ago on my show here, I was saying between, you know, Rudy Giuliani and Roger Stone, I don't know what I'm doing with this threesome right here, but I'll tell you what, we're going to have a whole lot of fun, that's for sure. <laughs> we are. Well, um, you know, it's a Roger Stone party. If you're invited, you're indicted. So what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's dive right into this. Uh Rudy Giuliani, uh, a uh, graduate of Manhattan College uh, and New York University Law School, former assistant U.S. attorney. I was a lowly volunteer in his first 
campaign for mayor, a race that he lost narrowly to David Dinkins. Dinkins was not a bad mayor. He was just a bad man. He was just a terrible mayor. And, of course, Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani came back for a rematch uh, to win that office at a time when people were saying New York City was over, that the problems of New York in terms of both taxes, housing, and particularly crime were just uh, intractable, that we had to live with less. We had to live in a dangerous, dirty, filthy dysfunctional place. But Rudy Giuliani challenged that narrative, challenged that thinking. Uh, I knew Ed Koch, also not a bad guy, but on uh, the show today we have the greatest mayor in New York City. I've said it before in introducing him in various crowds. I say it uh, again today. So, Mayor, let me, let me, let's jump right into it. Big city crime is a major issue these days. Just mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, you have a track record in this area that is the envy of every mayor, every police chief across America. What's the best advice you would give a mayor or a police chief to begin to solve these problems like you did in 1994, 1995, when you became mayor? Uh, and while you're at it, uh, elaborate on what the broken window theory of policing sure, is. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the broken windows theory and their un misunderstanding of it. But uh, really, it's an easier problem than it was, Roger, back in the day that you're talking about, uh, because we do have a we do have a, a, a game plan that we can look at, not just in New York, but throughout the country where crime went all the way down. And um, the reality is, and I know this will sound part of them, but the hell with it to the truth. This is a product of. The, the thinking of the modern so-called progressive Democrat Party, which is not very progressive at all. It's extremely retrogressive. It's a um, uh, basically indulge the criminal at all costs philosophy, maybe because they want the vote, maybe because they think they can they can be more uh, appealing to the minority voter that way. I don't know what their thinking is, but this is a produced crime wave produced by Democrats, uh, and some of it is exacerbated by 2020, uh, the example of 2020. Criminals, criminals watch television like everyone else does, uh, and when they saw that you could walk into a store and take everything out and the cops did nothing, they just wrote it down, and uh, it was being, uh, uh, if not encouraged, certainly excused by Biden, Harris, uh, and everybody else. Uh, it then entered into what they did in their cities, in their towns. And we went through the defund the police movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, all those things have created where we are today. And uh, they, they have to be deconstructed. And what, what, what we need are mayors and police commissioners. It, it sounds simple. Who will enforce the law? And um, they don't have to do it strictly. They don't have to become monsters. But when you get arrested for when you get arrested for stabbing somebody, uh, you should be held and you should be tried quickly and you should go to jail for a period of time, depending on your background. You shouldn't be put it back out on the street in three hours, which is what is happening in New York. There are seven thousand people, roughly, that are walking the streets of New York right now. Could be more that would be in jail when I was the mayor or when Bloomberg and Kelly were in charge that are now walking the streets 
and creating the crime that is frightening the living daylights out of New Yorkers. And that number keeps increasing. They put criminals on the street, and it's worse some places than New York. That philosophy has to be changed, and we have to go back to enforcing the law in a disciplined, sensible way and recognizing that there are some people, uh, the only way you're going to stop them from committing crimes is by putting them behind bars. You leave them out on the street, and these career criminals will violate uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. This is, uh, if you're just joining us, this is WABC Radio. This is the Roger Stone Show. In our second hour, Kimberly Guilfoyle joins us. She is, of course, the fiancé of Donald Trump Jr., but more importantly, she is the star of the Kimberly Guilfoyle Show on Rumble, uh, an experienced broadcaster, many, many years at Fox, longtime friend of mine, but the fiercest MAGA warrior of them all. She joins us later. Also joining us, Buffalo Congressman Chris Collins. If you think what they did to General Flynn was an outrage, if you think what they did to me was an outrage, wait till you hear what they did to Congressman Chris Collins, a man who actually never did anything wrong, spent a brief period of time in a federal penitentiary, a federal lockup, only to be pardoned as an act of both justice and mercy by President Donald Trump. Chris Collins joins us in our second hour. Uh, Andrew Giuliani, uh, people don't understand how all-consuming a race for statewide office, particularly in a large state like New York, can be. Uh, You have the added burden of being the son of a famous father. Uh, That's an extraordinarily difficult burden. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, Governor Tom Kane of New Jersey, uh, my first solo client as a political consultant, elected in 1981 by 1,209 votes out of 2.5 million cast, was a great two-term governor uh, of New Jersey. Uh, His son, Tom Kane Jr., served in the state Senate, now in the House. I like young Tom, but recently he voted uh, against the motion to censure Adam Schiff. A disappointment. Uh, I'm hoping that things will improve. I uh, didn't know you before you ran for governor. Uh, I was prepared to think, well, this guy worked in the Trump White House and spent some time as a a professional golfer. I got to tell you, your campaign in terms of messaging, in terms of discipline, in terms of energy, in terms of drive, in terms of purpose, really blew me away. And I particularly like the classy way in which you accepted a, 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 a close defeat, but then you warmly endorsed and campaigned for the Republican who defeated you, which is the way you move forward in this business. Tell people what running for governor of a state like New York is like. Well, Roger, first off, thank you for the compliments. It, uh, Like I said before, it means a whole lot coming from you. You know, I think one of the things that uh, when you think about being the son of a you know famous father, somebody who's accomplished so much, as, as you said, the greatest mayor in the history of New York, one of the greatest prosecutors in the history of our country, the one thing that I am aided by is that Hunter Biden has set the bar so low these days that as long as I have not done cocaine in the White House library, uh, I'm considered to be a success by many. Uh, I'll, I'm kidding around, obviously. There, let me get back to the question that that, that you have at hand there. Um, you know, when, when you think about a state like New York and the 62 counties, and you think about how different some of those counties are, like 
New York County in Manhattan, uh, where, you know, we've elected a district attorney like an Alvin Bragg uh, by 80 percent of the vote. And then other places, when you start going to Western New York and, and you start going uh, into the Adirondacks and you start going into the Uticas of the world where you have a lot of blue collar, feels like you're really in Midwestern America in many ways. It feels almost more like what many would think of, of an Ohio and a Michigan and, and, a, uh, and a Wisconsin. Uh, it really is multiple strategies depending on where you are uh, in the state in terms of trying to get your vote out. What's the messaging? Because what people may be dealing with as a challenge in New York City, let's say some of the rogue district attorneys, uh, they're not necessarily dealing with that. Uh, let's say if you go up to Clinton County, which is up north by Plattsburgh, um, for them, in many places, they're dealing with kind of the shutdowns of so much of our penitentiary system there. And that's really, really a main job producer uh, in so much of Western and Northern New York. In New York City, we're obviously seeing the deterioration of the quality of life, which my father Rudy just covered here recently. You know, you can think about just recently, this guy who actually reported somebody on his phone at the convenience store who worked there, um, stealing $500 worth of stuff. What ends up happening? They don't arrest the guy. They actually take the guy who reported it and fired him. And sadly, that's what we're dealing like with in so many of these cities. And in terms of, you know, after I realized that uh, that the people had chosen Congressman Zeldin to be the Republican nominee, it was about two seconds where I thought, what would be a better future for my daughter and my family? Would it be better if we had conservative principles espoused by my opponent, Lee Zeldin, or would it be uh, better if Kathy Hochul was running our state as she is right now, where we're seeing more and more New Yorkers leave for the likes of Florida and Texas and Tennessee, where we're seeing sadly crime and quality of life deteriorate, where we're seeing uh, radical ideas being put into our education system almost independent now of whether or not it's in public school or in private school. And for me, it wasn't even a choice. So when I look at kind of my mission over the next 40 to 50 years, um, I realize it's to make sure uh, that I hand off a better state, a better city, a better country for my daughter than was handed to me by my father and, and, uh, and by his parents. Uh, Mayor Giuliani, a softball question. Woke bureaucrats in the administration of Mayor Eric Adams uh, want to outlaw pizza ovens that are fueled by either wood or coal. This bureaucratic nightmare would mean that classic pizza places, the emporiums of the greatest pizza on earth, we're talking Luigi's Pizza, we're talking Tantano's, Della Rocco's, uh, oh. Grimaldi's, Locali, Defara, John's of Bleecker Street. I mean, these are temples, temples of great pizza. They would be no more. Is this the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? You know, Roger, uh, maybe five or six years ago, I would never think this, but I think it's almost on purpose to try to wipe out our culture. Uh, if I look at what they've been doing for the last 10, 12 years, even before we noticed it, uh, the, the, the organized, progressive, 
left-wing Marxist-influenced Democrats. They're doing everything they can to wipe out our culture, whether it's uh, trying to take down Theodore Roosevelt's statue or, or uh, Jefferson's statue. Or uh, in our case, I mean, uh, pizza is part of what defines New York. It's one of the reasons people come to New York for the best pizza in the world. And uh, they, they, they are, these people are anti-American. All you have to do is read Soros. And you can see he is vehemently anti-American nationalism because he wants us to be – he wants us to meld into one world. Uh, beyond it, it's also part of the climate culture insanity, the cult of climate, of climate uh, uh, change. Uh, the small amount of, of carbon emitted by all of these ovens over a, like a one-year period is just one trip in, on John Kerry's airplane. And it's ridiculous. It makes no sense scientifically. Uh, I think it's done, you know, for political purposes because, you know, we're the deplorable enemy and they can go after Italian-Americans. I mean, after all, they go after people who like the Latin mass. What the heck's that all about? No, you're absolutely right. You're you're a terrorist? I think they want to outlaw anything in which we find enjoyment, in all honesty. I think that's a part of it. The idea that you would... Take down the statue of Theodore Roosevelt in front of the the Museum of Natural History. Theodore Roosevelt, who, by the way, was widely criticized for inviting Booker T. Washington to dine at the White House. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who believed in the equality Uh, of all men. His family fought in the Civil War uh, to free the slaves. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, But it is is, uh, the woke culture. Uh, Andrew, you have been all over the state. Uh, I think uh, that uh, uh, that uh, the Republican nominee, uh, uh, Mr. Zeldin, ran a valiant effort. But in all honesty, do you think it is possible for New York Republicans to elect a statewide candidate again? I mean, uh, between the level of cheating, uh, the yeah. level of uh, uh, of illegals, uh, and the the uh, changing demographics of New York State. Is it possible to win a statewide race? Well, let me answer it with uh, the numbers, first of all. So, you know, on the campaign trail, you know, when I was and and my team were looking at numbers in terms of what we would need to pull in New York City. And this wasn't just me. I I remember hearing campaign speeches by Congressman Zeldin and Rob Astorino and, and Kerry Wilson as well, talking about what the Republican needed to do in New York City specifically the target was 30 to 35 percent. My target was 35 percent plus in New York City because I knew that you had more people that had moved out of New York City, the more Republicans. And you'd seen that uh, in terms of upstate, we had lost a lot of the northern part of New York, a lot of central New York. We had lost a lot of red areas in New York. Congressman Zeldin, in order to have won, if everything else was the same in the other 57 counties of New York, and if we look at at the five counties of New York City, he would have needed to have pulled 39% of New York City. He cracked 30%, he would have needed 39%. So look, if you go back and look and think that uh, just a few years ago, we had you know 20 years of consecutive, we'll say, non-democratic mayors, and, and obviously uh, four consecutive uh, terms of Republican mayors in New York, whatever you think about Mike Bloomberg. Now he ran as a Republican, 
won as a Republican for two of those terms, and then obviously in his third term ran and won as an independent. So yes, it, it is possible, um, but you, you kind of need to hit the inside straight, if you will. I think it, looking at it from a political standpoint, you'll have more Democrats come out and vote if there's a Republican in the White House against the uh, Republican candidate, let's say, in a midterm election, uh, and vice versa. You'll have Democrats that are not as enthused to come on out and vote if you have a Democrat in the White House. So at least looking forward to 2026, if you have a Republican in the White House, like I know we're all pulling for President Trump, which, by the way, Roger, you did a fantastic job interviewing him a few weeks ago. I know you guys have been friends for 40 years plus, and you did a spectacular yep. job. I listened to your interview in preparing for my interview, and, and kudos to you in doing that. But if you have President Trump in the White House, it becomes very difficult for a Republican to win statewide in New York. And that's not just because of President Trump. That's any Republican there. If a Democrat is in the White House, then probably a Republican has a better chance just because you'll have Democrats that are not enthused to come on out. They're not, they're not having the national media that's going to continue to beat everybody over the head about how bad the Republican is for your state. And on top of the fact that you'll have Kathy Hochul uh, continuing to push these policies that, as you said before, woke policies, policies that are that are hurting our quality of life, not just in New York, but in the Binghamtons, the Rochesters, the Buffaloes. The thing that was amazing to me in really studying and learning the state was to see that in 2021, at least, both Binghamton and Rochester had the most murders in recorded history. So this isn't just a problem that existed in New York City. This existed all around the state in urban areas. Um, so is it possible? Yes. But you need the right things to align in order to, uh, in order to hit that, I think. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, if you're just tuning in, folks, uh, I have uh, the Giuliani duo with me, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, uh, the greatest mayor in New York City history, uh, and his son, Andrew Giuliani, whose show precedes mine here, right here at WABC Radio. Uh, and I'm honored to have both these gentlemen with us. You can tune in at uh, 770 on the AM dial. Uh, you can uh, also hear us at WABC Radio. Com. You can either listen live there or you can download and listen to the show later. I recommend you go get the WABC radio app because that way you can listen to uh, the great Sid Rosenberg, uh, my good friend Frank Morano, if you're a night owl, 
uh, Frank Morano's uh, After Midnight Show, always a winner. Larry Kudlow, the quarterback of uh, President Donald Trump's successful effort turbocharge the uh, the economy during his presidency. Uh, of course, the Cats Roundtable, where John Katsimatidis every day at five breaks down the breaking news for you, particularly a table setter on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. All of it available uh, on the WABC radio app. I really urge you to download that to your phone. Uh, mayor Giuliani, you were mayor on September 11th, 2001, when al-Qaeda terrorists killed nearly 3,000 people by flying hijacked planes into the World Trade Center's two towers. You immediately took charge of the rescue and recovery efforts, acting extremely decisively and with extraordinary courage and poise under pressure to calm the city of New York. In appreciation of those leadership efforts, uh, many called you America's mayor. Time magazine named you as person of the year. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II awarded you an honorary knighthood. So from now on, I have to call you Sir Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> uh, on March 8, 2002, uh, the greatest mayor in New York City history received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from perhaps the greatest or maybe the second greatest president in American history, Ronald Reagan. Mayor Giuliani, when you were first told that these terrorists had attacked the World Trade Center, what's the first thing that came in your mind? Well, when I first realized it was terrorists, because at first I didn't know whether it was a, my first uh, 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 notification was that a twin engine plane had hit the North Tower. But when I walked out of the Peninsula Hotel where I was having breakfast and I saw the tremendous fire, my uh, counsel, Dennis and Young, and I said, no, no, this has to be much worse. And then I was about a mile away when the second plane hit and my police commissioner, Bernie Carrick, called and we knew immediately that it was al Qaeda. You know, we, we had had threats from bin Laden to the 2000 uh, New Year's Eve celebration. We had had consistent threats because some of his people were on trial just four blocks away from City Hall in the Southern District of New York. So we were expecting uh, some kind of a terrorist act, but certainly not uh, airplanes being used as missiles attacking our building. Uh, but, we, but at least we had the advantage of having an idea of who our enemy was. And I had a police commissioner who had uh, spent a lot of time both in the military and doing policing in the Middle East who understood Islamic terrorism well. So, uh, I mean, I just said to myself, this is the worst thing I've ever faced. It's beyond anything I've ever done before. And I'm just going to have to uh, put aside all emotion and uh, pray to God that I make the right decision and use all the experience that I have and contain my emotions. And Bernie and I kind of hugged, agreed on that, and then we just made decisions and prayed to God they were right. Uh, you refer, of course, to uh, former police commissioner Bernard Carrick, perhaps the greatest police commissioner in New York City history. God, I wish we had him back now. Oh, uh, wow. Do I wish we had him back? Of course, every day. I mean, day. the current, current mayor doesn't seem to be able to find a police commissioner whose no, brother I mean, is not a convicted felon. 
or, uh, or I, I would take in a minute the great police commissioner, Ray Kelly, who Bloomberg had, great police great commissioner, great or man. Howard Safer or Bratton, uh, the two that I had. I mean, these were all four. You'd have to have like an interesting argument like you did in baseball, who's greater, who's better. But that's what you need, not, not uh, people who let people out of jail and the police are dispirited and they don't feel like they're supported. And it's a terrible thing. I mean, morale, morale has a lot more to do with policing than people realize because they are you know, a somewhat military organization. And when they're led by these people like a, a Biden or a Adams or a, and even though Adams was a police officer, he really wasn't. And, and the cops know that. I mean, he was sort of a, a, a leader of 100 black men in law enforcement who would constantly raise issues, some valid and a lot invalid, to get himself publicity. But I can't remember an arrest that he ever made. So it's not like it. I mean, he played himself as a real cop. But real cops know he's not a real cop. Right? Well, unfortunately, and he, makes, uh, he makes absurd decisions. He makes silly decisions. Uh, unfortunately, Eric Adams writes in his biography that while he was a New York police captain, uh, he provided personal private security for Mike Tyson uh, and for uh, the Reverend Louis Farrakhan, both of them convicted felons, uh, a clear violation of a rarely employed regulation of the NYPD, which an officer is not allowed to consort with a person who in the past has or in the future might be involved uh, in committing a crime. That regulation has been used to terminate uh, the employment of my good friend, Officer Salvatore Greco, proud son of Staten Island, a cop with a 14-year unblemished record of service to the people of New York City, uh, sometimes assigned to the graveyard shift in some of the most dangerous precincts of New York, Hmm. who literally was terminated, loses his pension, doesn't get a good conduct letter, so he can't get a job police officer in any other jurisdiction. And now Mayor Adams has moved to seal his disciplinary records because what they would show is when he was investigated for violating the same regulation, they docked his vacation time by five days. Now add insult to injury. Cardi B, a convicted criminal, a rapper who records songs about killing cops. She's invited Uh to address the New York City Police Academy. An obvious uh, a violation of the same regulation. When asked about this, Mayor Adams says, oh, well, that was court-ordered community service. Really, Mayor? Show us the court order, Mayor. We'd like to see that court order. It doesn't exist. It's just an, another egregious example uh, of the two-tiered justice system in which an officer who, on his days off, had the right to support Donald Trump and a right to be a friend of, to me of and my wife when we were going through tough times, he gets fired, uh, but uh, Eric Adams, he, he pays no penalty. And Cardi B, she's a celebrity, so there's different rules for her. Yeah, it, it, the whole thing is outrageous. Folks can go to helpthisnycop.com if they want to read more about this. Helpthisnycop.com. Uh, it is a just cause. Uh, Officer Salvatore Greco is in federal court now with a lawsuit, a civil suit, and I predict that he will prevail because what's being done to him is outrageously unfair. By the Roger, way, Roger, too, I don't I want to cut you off, but I, I have to tell you. Go ahead, Dad. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Andrew. Well, oh, I, 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 heard the, I heard the interview that Sal did, I think, a couple of days ago with Frank Morano, 
earlier this week, and it was great. I'd recommend anybody go to WABCRadio.com to listen to that, but I remember hearing it overnight. I think I caught it the next morning, as a matter of fact, but uh, I know you mentioned Frank Morano before. It's a very good interview that they did, and, and they get into a lot of that. Well, uh, in fact, Sal Greco was on Tucker Carlson. I think his next to last show, uh, or maybe his third to last show, was a terrific interview. Uh, you know, this guy's life has been turned upside down. He's lost everything, including his pension. Uh, he, he's moved to Florida, but he can't get a job as a police officer, which is really what he loves, because he doesn't have a good conduct letter uh, over his termination in New York. It's entirely unfair, but we know how all of that works. Uh, Mayor Giuliani, the 2020 election, obviously highly controversial. You were a key figure in the Trump campaign's effort to challenge the results. Uh, looking back, uh, are you now able to share with our audience what, in hindsight, you see both as perhaps the biggest mistakes that were made uh, in the challenge, but also the greatest successes from both a legal and political point of view? Yeah, I think that the mistake, uh, the mistake that was made is uh, to go to the courts in the first place. I don't think we realized that there was going to be basically a shutdown in no hearings, not hearing any testimony. I've never I've never witnessed that before. I mean, you go to court with a temporary restraining order, they listen to your witnesses. And even more than winning a particular case, my interest was getting the citizens on the record. Because whether we were going to win now or in the future, you had to make a record of this. And uh, it, these were not complaints of Donald Trump or me or you. or These were complaints of Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith and who went to the polling place and were told they had already voted. I mean, 17,000 people went to the polling place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and were told they had already voted. Uh, Republicans were shut out of observing over 600,000 ballots that were counted in Pennsylvania in front of them, but they were two football fields away. And even when uh, Pam Bondi got an order to see them, the sheriff a Democratic uh, hack said, I'm not enforcing it. So there was a clear conspiracy never to let us see a single ballot. We never got to see a single ballot. What we should have done immediately is gone to the legislatures and uh, made our case there. And we did, but we were about eight weeks late because we tried the courts. And luckily, the thing we were able to do with the legislatures was to document our case. So there, there are about four or 500 witnesses in one way or another that have either testified or submitted affidavits from which you can historically build a case of a theft of the election. And then since then, there have been reports that have furthered that uh, 2,000 mules, for example, being one of them, the, 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 their technology was not available to us at the time and would have taken six months to do but it, it there's been in all the time that that movie has been out there hasn't been a single substantive criticism of one example they gave of someone stuffing a ballot box it's just a general it's been it's been uh debunked it's not true the same thing that the bidens have been saying for five years on all the evidence that's coming out against them uh, they've never been able to uh, rebut a single uh, one of those thousands and thousands of uh, basically scientifically determined 
locations of these people who were stuffing the ballot box. So uh, there's, a, there's a plethora of evidence from the point of view of history that will show that – it will definitely show that this, this election was the most, the most uh, uh, interfered with and fraudulent in American history. And I think it will show that Trump actually won. Uh, but actually, more importantly, it will show a tremendous effort to cheat him. Now, you, you don't even need that. You can go back to covering up the hard drive as election fraud. What the heck was that all about? I mean, there was clear evidence of maybe 40 or 50 crimes by Joe Biden and his, and his son that the FBI had already validated. And they allow this debate to go on as to whether it's valid or not. They, I mean, from a personal point of view, they allowed Biden to go on national television in a debate and accuse Donald Trump and me, personally using my name, of being a Russian agent. And that was Russian disinformation. They had determined eight months earlier that it wasn't. And they don't even correct that. Barr doesn't correct it. So when I see Barr pontificating, you can't imagine the reaction that I have when he sat on that information. I mean, that was election determinative. The American people knew half of what's in the hard drive before the election. I mean, even now, when you go back and poll them, 10, 20 percent say they would have changed their vote. Uh, Mayor Giuliani, of course, refers to Hunter Biden's laptop hard drive. Uh, by the way, folks, if you haven't seen that and you want to see it, you can go to MarcoPoloUSA.org. MarcoPoloUSA.org. That is a nonprofit organization that has very carefully and very accurately posted online and put together in print form all of Hunter Biden's laptop information. It is very carefully footnoted and annotated. There is no analysis here. This is straight fact. Uh, they did add footnotes to make it more understandable. Uh, if you have kids in the home, don't worry about the images. They have been blurred since some of them are extraordinarily pornographic and shocking. Uh, but uh, I urge you uh, to go to MarcoPoloUSA.org. Uh, very expensive lawyers for Hunter Biden are now suing the Marco Polo organization uh, in an attempt to silence them. So uh, you can not only see the laptop there, you can actually order a printout of it, which is really, really compelling. Uh, but I also urge you to make a contribution. This is an eight-man band of freedom fighters, of truth-tellers. Hunter Biden is spending literally millions of dollars on mean, uh, nasty attorneys to threaten uh, those who have the audacity to expose Hunter Biden's record. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Mayor, a follow-up question. Anthony Blinken, our current Secretary of State, there's a lot of evidence that he's the guy who went around and lined up the 51 current and former intelligence agency officials to co-sign a letter falsely claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop had, uh, quote, all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Yet I see no accountability. I see no effort Mm -hmm. to hold our current failed Secretary of State responsible. What's your view on that? Well, I mean, I'm obviously personally injured by that because I was the primary person they accused of being the Russian agent. I was the one who got the hard drive, along with Bob Costello, my lawyer. Uh, Everybody else wouldn't take it. Uh, If Bob and I hadn't gotten it, it wouldn't wouldn't have come out. And there was nothing about it that was Russian. In fact, I mean, you could tell just from the letter that it was phony. When, When someone says it has the hallmarks of Russian disinformation, Roger, Andrew, and they don't give you a hallmark, like a single example, As a lawyer of 50 years, I can tell you they're lying because the first thing you want to do is put together your two or three best examples that buries them. Uh, So they they say it has the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Like what? It's written in Russian. It comes from has a Moscow stamp on it. What were the plus? (laughs) They knew it was they knew it was valid. The FBI had had. validated it eight months earlier they had to all know it they most of them had uh, access to classified information so i mean these people are traitors it could be the single the second single greatest dirty trick in american history the first one being the russian collusion hoax we now know based on the long delayed slow roll support of uh, special counsel john durham that uh, neither the DOJ, the CIA, or the FBI had any probable cause whatsoever to justify the opening of the Crossfire Hurricane counterintelligence investigation. They had no legal predicate for the appointment of Robert Mueller. They had no justification or legal rationale for the uh, the uh, application for multiple FISA warrants so that they could spy on Donald Trump's campaign. This is This makes Watergate look like small potatoes. This is an abuse of power uh, in which the full legal authority of the United States government and the extraordinary capability of our intelligence agencies were weaponized illegally and illicitly to launch an effort to remove a duly elected president. In fact, I would argue that it's treasonous. Yet, thanks to the slow motion operations of John Durham, the statute of limitations has passed and nobody will be prosecuted. Durham, to me, uh, is an enigma. This guy prosecutes the people at the very lowest level of the Clinton crime family. It would be like charging the driver of the getaway car in a bank robbery (laughs) for double parking, letting the bank robbers testify against him, thus incriminating themselves, but letting them keep the loot. It's really quite extraordinary. Uh, we have to move it along here. I have one more question for you, Andrew. Uh, you served as special assistant to President Trump. You spent a lot of time with him, watching him work through the administration and afterwards. Uh, you played golf with him. You have a lot of experience on the golf course yourself. What is Donald Trump really like as a golfer? I think people underestimate his <laughs> uh, his uh, athleticism. What is he like as a golfer? 
Well, I got to tell you, I, I played with him just uh, a couple days after our interview last weekend, and he made six birdies in one round. It was actually the best round I've ever seen him play. So, Roger, I think you and I should both take credit for that because you interview him, I interview him a few, a few short weeks later, and then all of a sudden his game is the best that I've ever seen. I actually told him, Roger, that I really hope his game – gets a whole lot worse again in two years when he gets into present and he's too busy to work on his putting and his short game. Um, but the truth is, I, I think, you know, in all seriousness, in, in seeing him work every day for four years, I'll tell you one story that I think really encapsulates all of it. This is about a week after the country was shut down because of the pandemic. And, and we were at that point uh, there were a couple of all-nighters at the White House, and, and uh, I think by that point we were kind of doing 16 to 18-hour days. And I remember one night going home after midnight, getting home, and finally getting to bed around 1 o'clock. And I got a call on the bat phone, on the government phone there, from the president at 2.27 in the morning. And it was only about a four-minute call or so, and, and I, I wrote down the note, went back to bed, and I had set my alarm for a quarter to six. He calls me again at 5.23 in the morning. Again, another like two-minute call. He sounded just as awake as he had ever been. And I wrote down the exact same note, and I tried to go back to sleep for the next 15 minutes before my alarm was going to ring. And I just thought, does this guy ever sleep? It's, it's amazing. And that's kind of the same way that I feel about my father. Roger, I know you have an incredible work ethic yourself. But I think that uh, one of the things about President Trump uh, was he, he understood just how important the role of president was, especially the people who had elected him coming in as a populist, as somebody who was uh, really going into, uh, as he had said so many times on the campaign trail, drain the swamp of Washington, D.C. Um, and I think maybe he didn't even realize, and I think all of us didn't even realize just how much he was up against not just from the Democrats, but from the Republicans in his own party. I think going forward, and, and if he is, in fact, elected the president starting on January 20th, 2025, I, I think he's going to look not just at the opposite party, but people in his own party in Washington, D.C. And, and I think we might see the full draining of the swamp uh, that we had not only hoped for, but had begun in the first term. Yeah, I think we have an awakened Donald Trump who is both older but also wiser. Uh, and therefore, yes. it's amazing how much he accomplished in his first term. Boom economy, rebuilding our military strength, scores of conservatives uh, on the federal courts, uh, reinstilling fear in our enemies around the world. Wait to see what he does in a second term. You know, they asked Ronald Reagan at the end of his second term, they said, well, you didn't come from the world of government or politics. You didn't come uh, from the military. Do you think your background as an actor was detrimental to your performance as president? He said, fellas, I don't see how a guy who wasn't an actor could ever do this job. Uh, I think President Trump understood that. Uh, we have to move this along. I want to thank Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Oh, thank you, Roger. Always a pleasure. The greatest mayor in New York City history. Uh, and thank you, Andrew Giuliani, uh, the future greatest governor of the state of New York, for joining us here on The Roger Stone Show. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.